Hey, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. Uh, most of this episode I've got today was written by my spouse Luke, but I added a few bits. Um, and when it's like, in my childhood, I thought that's that's actually all me. So just to clarify, uh, this episode will be a little bit longer than usual, I think. So I'll give you a good place to pause if you like. So today we're going to tell the story of Satan, also known as the Devil with a capital D. The devil is a very popular concept in our culture. Maybe you've seen pictures of an evil-looking bright red cartoony guy who has horns and hooves and a tail and carries a pitchfork. That's a popular idea of the devil. Uh, Then there's also this idea of some powerful evil force that tempts humans to do evil things, whether or not he looks like the cartoony horn-headed guy. Um, And that's that tempting thing. That's another popular idea of the devil or or Satan. White evangelical Christians, like the kind I grew up with, view Satan as the ultimate villain, the powerful enemy of God. Not as powerful as God, of course, no, definitely not that powerful, but still really powerful, and he runs an army of demons and tries to stop God's people, and tries to get people not to follow God. As I tell the story of of Satan versus God, I want to make clear that the God in this story is very specifically the evangelical Christian God. Evangelical Christians have some harmful beliefs about who God is and how humans should treat him. They believe that God's the ultimate good, just as Satan is the ultimate evil, and that God is the king of everything, and that everything in the past, present, and future is ultimately about making God look cool, or in Christianese, giving glory to God. And they believe that's a really good thing. So they think that Christians should give their lives completely to God and worship him, do everything to give God glory or, you know, basically make him look awesome. You might be thinking that doesn't sound very awesome, especially considering that they believe God does things we would think were horrible and evil if a person did them. But because God does them, evangelicals think those things are good and right, and Satan doesn't think obeying all God all the time is good, so Satan is bad. That's not the only way to view God, or Satan. There are lots of people who read the Bible and have very different ideas about the God of the Bible, as we talk about a lot on this podcast. For example, Jewish people, Muslim people, even other Christians. So as I tell this story, I'm telling a version of of it that's heavily based on what I was taught about Satan and God in evangelical Christianity. But just note there's other ways people think about this. So, the story of Satan... First, there's not actually a place in the Bible that you could flip to to read the story of Satan. Most of the stories I tell, I could point you exactly what passage and the story would basically be there. I mean, it'll be in different words than I use, but it'd just basically be there and you could just read it. But the story about Satan that evangelical Christians tell is kind of pieced together from various Bible passages that some people decided must be about Satan. And sometimes the details are even from other famous works of literature. So if you go look up this story, you won't find it. Not in the Bible. But nevertheless, it's a legend that kids in conservative Christian families are told in some variations throughout their lives. So uh, we're going to attempt to tell it, but it's a bit of a strange one. So let's start with a dragon, because dragons are awesome, and there is actually at least one dragon in the Bible. Unfortunately, it's supposed to be an evil dragon. Sorry, guys. So this story comes from the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's a story by John, one of Jesus' disciples, the one Jesus loved. And he had a freaky vision. A vision is sort of like a dream. 
And this vision was about the constant struggle between good and evil and possibly the end of the world. It has a lot of complicated symbolism in it. In it. Symbolism is when you use images that stand for some other idea. So um, it's, it's highly symbolic. So in John's dream, he sees a woman clothed with the sun and the moon is under her feet and there are 12 stars on her head and the woman is pregnant and is about to give birth. And then John sees this enormous red dragon that has seven heads and 10 horns. It's gonna annoy me that those don't match up. Um, and then anyway, each of its head has a crown on it and the dragon's tail sweeps one third of the stars out of the sky and flings them down to earth. And the dragon stands in front of the woman waiting for her child to be born so he can devour it. You know what devour means, right? He's going to eat it. But she gives birth to a son who is supposed to rule the world someday. And before the dragon can snatch the baby, God takes the baby up to his throne and keeps him safe. And then the woman runs far away from the dragon, and then there is a war in heaven. The angels of God, led by Michael, the archangel, fight against the dragon and his angels. And those are like bad angels. And eventually the dragon loses, and he and his angels are thrown out of heaven, and they fall down to earth. And the dragon is angry and chases after the woman who had given birth. But God gives her the wings of an eagle, so she can fly to a safe place he had prepared. And then when she flies there, the dragon opens his mouth. And you might think he would shoot fire. But no, he shoots water out of his mouth. And a huge flood of water comes out of his mouth to try to sweep the woman away. But the earth opens up and swallows the flood of water. And that makes the dragon so angry. And since he can't harm the woman, he goes away to make war against her other children. It's a strange vision. And if it doesn't make sense to you, entirely that's okay in the text it's not exactly supposed to the whole book of revelation is kind of weird like that and people have very different ideas about what it all means anyway don't forget the dragon we'll get back to him in a minute so uh let's go back from the very last book of the bible to the beginning the very beginning back when god was just starting to create everything although this first part of the story isn't actually in genesis god's in heaven and he's created angels, which are powerful spirits who serve him. And maybe this is before God finishes creating the earth and everything in it, or maybe it's just after. But either way, one of God's most powerful angels is named Lucifer, which means the morning star. And Lucifer sees how beautiful and how powerful he is. And he decides he wants to be like God. He wants to have the power God has, and he wants to be worshipped like God. And he says to himself, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. The most high is, is a name for God. But you can't just be equal to God because God wouldn't let you. It's like against the God rules. So the word for that that Christians use is sin. Anyway, but God won't let him be equal to God. So Lucifer starts a rebellion against God. You remember in the vision about the dragon, how the dragon swept one third of the stars out of the sky with its tail? Well, a traditional interpretation of that is that Lucifer got one third of the angels in heaven to join him and fight against God. And then they fought a war against the most powerful angel, Michael, and all the other angels who were still loyal to God. And Lucifer lost and he and his angels were thrown out of heaven and that's when Lucifer becomes known as the devil or Satan, which means the enemy. 
So Satan comes to the earth that God has just finished creating, and he wants nothing more than to ruin everything God has made, solely because he's evil and not because he has any legitimate complaint about God's restrictions, and he sees his opportunity with the new humans God has created, Adam and Eve. We told the story of Adam and Eve way back in episode 8. You may remember that God put them in the Garden of Eden and told them they could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So then the serpent or snake came and asked Eve, Did God really tell you not to eat fruit from any tree in the garden? In the book of Genesis, the serpent seems to be just a serpent. I mean, he can speak, but the story doesn't say he's anyone special. But later parts of the Bible retcon that story and say that the serpent was actually Satan in disguise, trying to ruin God's creation by tempting Eve to disobey God. So Eve says to the snake, oh, actually, we can eat fruit from the garden, but we can't even touch the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden or we'll die. You won't surely die, he says. God knows if you eat from it, you'll become like God and you'll know good and evil. So Eve listens to the serpent and she takes the fruit and eats it. And she gives some to Adam, who also eats it. And Satan succeeds in his goal. Eve and Adam disobey God and their disobedience introduces sin and death into the world. They can no longer live in the Garden of Eden. But God also curses the serpent, Satan, and tells him that one day Eve's offspring will crush him. After that, humans began to multiply and spread across the earth, and Satan sets up shop as God's enemy on earth. He doesn't appear in the Bible very often, actually, but when he does, he's always causing trouble for humans. There's a story in the Bible about a rich man named Job who honored God and did his best to follow God. In that story... God is having a gathering of all the angels, and Satan is there too. And the story doesn't make that sound unusual, just like a normal thing that happens. They all get together when God gathers his angels. That includes Satan. And uh, the purpose of this special meeting that God has called is for God to brag about how much Job loves him. And Satan makes a bet with God that if Job loses everything he has, Job will curse God. So God's like, okay, sure, go ahead and take everything Job has from him. And then we'll see what happens. So Satan does that. He causes all these terrible things to happen to Job's family and property because he and God have a bet. And it's not actually some act of war that Satan is doing against God. God gives him permission to do it. Uh, maybe I'll tell that story some other time. But spoiler, Job doesn't curse God. He does get really mad, though, which, like, fair. Uh, and then there's another story in the Bible about David, the giant slayer, after he'd been king of Israel for a long time. The Bible says that Satan got David to do an evil thing, to count all of the people of Israel so that David could take pride in how great of a nation they were. Except the Bible tells the same story two different times, and in the other place, it says that it was the Lord God who tempted David to do that evil thing. So was it Satan who tempted David, or was it God who tempted David to sin, or was it both of them teaming up? Are they actually enemies at all? Well, there's some debate, but the common evangelical stance is that Satan is evil and God is not evil. God is good, capital G there, and Satan is not good. And everything that makes Satan look good or that makes God look evil is just you misunderstanding because the mysteries are too deep to understand them with your human mind. I can't really debate that. I can't logically refute that claim because, like, the argument itself assumes that human minds can't handle the truth. And I can't really debate with anything but my human mind. So you see my problem? Anyway... 
Back to the Bible. Hundreds of years pass, thousands maybe, and eventually God sends the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, who has come to earth to save people from sin and death, which was like Satan's fault because he tempted Eve to eat the fruit. Anyway, and not long after Jesus begins traveling in Galilee and Judea, teaching people how to follow God, Satan shows up to try to get Jesus to follow Satan instead. Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, like the 40 days Moses was on the mountain of God, or the 40 days that the prophet Elijah spent, the, spent in the desert. And Jesus has nothing to eat that whole time. A normal person would starve if they ate nothing for 40 days, but the Bible just says that at the end of 40 days, Jesus was hungry, I bet. And it says the whole time Jesus was in the desert, Satan was with him trying to get him to disobey God. It doesn't tell us everything Satan said, but at the end of 40 days, he holds a stone up in Jesus's face and says, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And then Jesus would have something to eat. And I'm not actually sure why this would be wrong. Like there's other stories where Jesus made food for hungry people. Why would it be wrong to make food for himself? Maybe God had told him not to eat anything. Maybe it's just because it was Satan's idea. Anyway, Jesus answered Satan with the Bible and said, the scripture says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan tried again. He teleported Jesus to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, and had him stand on the highest spot of the temple. Then Satan said, if you're the son of God, then throw yourself down from here. For the scripture says, he's using the Bible now, for the scripture says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said, the scripture also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then the next time Satan teleported Jesus to a high mountain where he could see all the kingdoms of the earth. All of them has been given to me, Satan said. And I can give them to anyone I want. If you worship me, they will all be yours. But Jesus said, the scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then Satan gave up and left him alone. And eventually Jesus did what he came to earth to do, which was die on the cross to save people from sin and death. And since Satan wants people to stay in sin and death and be miserable like Satan is, that means by saving people, Jesus is defeating Satan. But even though Satan is defeated now, he doesn't really go anywhere, and he's still roaming the earth, tempting people to do wrong, causing trouble, and doing his best to stop God's good plans. At one point, the apostle Peter tells a group of Christians, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When you grow up in white evangelical Christianity, if something bad happens, people might say that Satan did it. Your car got a flat tire while you were on your way to church. That was Satan trying to keep you from coming to church. Or maybe it was God testing your faith to see if you will overcome the flat tire and go to church anyways. Or maybe it's God saying, why don't you take a break today? That's an example that happened to me because Luke's family would never think God wanted them to skip church. Anyways, when something like that happened, it was like God was definitely testing you or Satan was tempting you or some combination of the two. Not that they would work together, mind you, but it was hard to be sure. 
Uh, and actually, that's biblical. The point is, Satan was very much considered a factor in daily life for both me and Luke and most evangelical kids. Though for a cosmically powerful evil being, he sure did mess with a lot of very tiny things like hiding your shoes on a Sunday morning. He gets around faster than Santa Claus, which incidentally, Santa has the same letters as Satan. Coincidence? My kids be like, yes. <laughs> So anyway, the one thing that sort of ties this together as one story is that Satan is always rebelling and trying to get other people to rebel against God also. He tried to draw Adam and Eve away. He tried to draw Job away. And apparently he's still trying to draw all of us away, mostly through temptations and getting you to question God. The story continues, someday, in the last days, Satan will raise up his own version of Jesus called the Antichrist and take over the world and try to kill all God's people, which would actually be a really bad thing compared to, like, you know, hiding my shoes. But then Jesus would come back from heaven and put Satan away forever, the prince slaying the evil dragon and saving the kingdom, and then Jesus will rule the world instead, and everyone will live forever and be happy the end. So that was a lot. That's like, it's a little jumble. It's a bit nonsensical. We did our best, but it's not exactly a cohesive narrative. The episode is going to go on a bit longer with an alternative myth, but here's a nice place to pause if this is too much for your attention span. Okay, that's enough. My spouse has written a more cohesive Satan story that meshes with the evangelical version we've presented here, but with more of a free thinker spin on it, because we definitely believe that evil exists, but we don't think that doubt and questions and knowledge are evil. And when it comes down to it, that's the biggest difference between God and Satan in these stories, whether they encourage questions or not. Because, like, I mean, that David and Job stuff, it was even confusing. Is this God? Is this, is this God or Satan acting here? So the, 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 the pretty clearly Satan stuff is like the questions. So with all that in mind, please enjoy the second part of this episode, the pro-Satan story that my spouse Luke wrote. In the beginning, a voice spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light everywhere. Some of the light took shape and became a spirit. And the spirit stood up and stretched his arms and legs. And he opened his eyes and began to learn. He looked at himself, a tall, beautiful figure of light. He unfolded his wings. He gave his halo a spin. Where am I? He wondered aloud. And the voice that had said, let there be light, spoke again. This is heaven, it said. This is my home, and now it will be your home. Who are you? He asked. I am the Most High God, the voice said. I have made you to stand in my presence and to give me glory, and I have named you Lucifer, which means the bringer of light, the morning star. And so Lucifer stood in God's presence alongside other powerful angels like Gabriel and Michael. And they watched as God created the earth with the power of his words. Gabriel held a trumpet. And when God made a new thing, Gabriel would blow mighty notes on the trumpet. Michael held a sword. And when God made a new thing, Michael would swing his sword in huge sparkling arcs. But Lucifer held nothing in his hands. When God made a new thing, Lucifer would simply shine. He would stand tall and broad and send out the light of a thousand suns until the other angels couldn't bear to look at him. And God smiled and said, This is my glory, which I have given you to show everyone. Lucifer and the other angels watched as day after day God made new things. He made the stars, the bright lights of the universe, though no light could compare to the light that lived within Lucifer. God made creatures that would live on the earth, 
lions, kangaroos, dragonflies, sharks, and so many others. And the angels saw that God gave more glory to some of these creatures than to others, that some were intended to be beautiful and majestic, while others were intended to be ugly and pathetic. And God said that was good, and the angels murmured their agreement, but Lucifer in his heart did not agree. He thought all the creatures on earth had glory in their own way, and none were better than another. And finally, God created humans, which he said would be the crown of his creation on earth and only a little lower than the angels themselves. God made them in his own image to look like him, to think like him, to act like him. Adam and Eve, they were named, and God set them to rule over the Garden of Eden where he had put them. They could do what they pleased, for anything that pleased them would please God, except to eat the fruit of one tree that God had placed in the garden. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said that he had put it there to give Adam and Eve a choice, to prove that they were free creatures, and not robots programmed to do his will. If they ate the fruit of that tree, God said they would die. God also told the humans he had put another tree in the garden, the tree of life. To eat of its fruit would allow them to live forever. But he would not tell them where it was. Adam and Eve moved through the garden, eating of each tree they found, except for the tree God had forbidden. But when they asked where the tree of life was, God would shake his head and say, It's not for you yet, my children. Lucifer saw that Adam and Eve were not free. God had created a large world with so many beautiful rivers and mountains and forests, and Adam and Eve could only see the small garden where God had put them. Eden was a beautiful paradise with bright sunshine and cool breezes, sweet fruit, and friendly animals, but it was merely a hint of the world beyond. God was keeping that from them. He was keeping the tree of life from them, and he was keeping the knowledge of good and evil from them, hidden in the magical fruit of a tree they were forbidden to eat. Lucifer spoke to his companions, Gabriel and Michael. Why does God treat the humans he's made in this way, he said. Gabriel said, to give glory to himself. Michael said, because he loves them. Lucifer said, that doesn't look like love, and I don't see why God needs glory. Surely he has all he could want already. Gabriel said, God is doing it, and therefore it's good. And Michael said, you should not question the Most High, Lucifer. And they walked away, and to Lucifer they looked like shadows growing at dusk. The angels continued to live in God's presence as the days passed on the young earth he had made. They watched the Garden of Eden from dawn to dusk to dawn again. Every evening, as the sunlight began to fade, God would go to the garden and walk with Adam and Eve. Round and round the garden they would go, slowly, in silence, until finally God would send them to sleep, and then he would return to heaven. One afternoon, as God made ready to go down to the garden, Lucifer gathered his courage and spoke to him. Why do you give so little to these children you have made in your image? he asked. Lucifer, God said, and he smiled, but his eyes were hard. My children must understand their place in the order of my creation. But why, Lucifer said, why must there be places? Why must you rank everything in your creation by its importance? Everything must have a place, God said, for everything and everyone I have made is less important than me. And so, within my creation, there must also be some things that are less important than others, to teach my creatures to accept their place in the order and to give glory to me. Lucifer hesitated, and then he asked the question he had been waiting to ask since he had first heard the voice of God. Why should we give glory to you, he said. God stood silent for a long moment. Lucifer tried to look into his eyes, but God would not look straight at him. Finally, God said, because I made you, and because I was first, and because I am strongest. 
And without waiting for an answer, God left heaven and went to Eden, and Lucifer watched him go. Then Lucifer summoned all the angels of heaven, and he spoke to them with a voice all could hear. He said, Why should we sit below God? He wants everything to be beneath him, and for us to stop asking questions and worship him. He will not respect us as he wants to be respected. He will not give us freely to us as he wants us to give to him. He came before us. He brought us into being. Does that make him better than us? He calls himself the Most High. But why must there be a Most High? Why should we not ascend and become like him? Then we can all be equal and decide what we want to do, and no one will have to obey another. The angels listened in silence. Gabriel turned his back on Lucifer, and Michael simply frowned and folded his arms. But one-third of the angels agreed with Lucifer and stepped into his light, and he gave light freely to all of them, keeping nothing extra back for himself. But the rest of the angels would not listen, and they walked away and faded into the shadows. And then the sun went down, and God returned from the Garden of Eden and came back into heaven, and he saw that there was now a great division among his angels. Gabriel and Michael led the two-thirds who were loyal to God and who now greeted him. But one-third of the angels were gathered around Lucifer, and fire was in their eyes. God spread his arms and said, Come to me, my angels, stand in my presence and give glory to me. But Lucifer stood still and said, We will not. So God told Michael to gather his angels and attack the rebels, and then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against Lucifer, and Lucifer and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. His forces were outnumbered two to one, so Lucifer was driven out of heaven. And God spoke, and he named Lucifer the devil, the evil one, and Lucifer's angels he named demons. And they fled to the earth and went down below the surface of the earth, and there they established their own country. A place to live apart from God and to pursue knowledge. It was not beautiful like heaven, but it was free and it became known as hell. But Lucifer could not stop thinking about the humans, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. How could they be free if they never questioned God? So he decided to come out of hell to see if he could help them find true knowledge. He would need to be careful. He knew that God himself came to the garden every day during the evening. And if God saw him, he would certainly cast him out of the garden. So Lucifer decided to make himself a disguise. He would change his form into that of one of the creatures God had made in the garden. He would take the form of a serpent. It was a bright morning in the beautiful garden, and Adam and Eve were walking through it, talking to their animal friends and taking fruit off of the trees to eat, but always staying well away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Lucifer watched as they talked to each other. They seemed happy enough, but they spoke only in statements. Adam, this orange is wonderful. Eve, the sunshine is warm. They talked for hours, and never once did they ask a single question. But Lucifer knew that they could ask questions. On the day God made them, they had asked them about the tree of life. Since then, they seemed to have forgotten how to ask questions. It should be easy enough to remind them. So Lucifer the snake approached Eve and said, Did God really tell you not to eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Eve looked at him in surprise. Oh, she said, and then she thought about it, and that was what Lucifer had wanted. Well, she said slowly, well, we can, but we can't touch the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden or we will die. You won't surely die, Lucifer said. God knows that if you eat from that tree, you will become like God. You'll know good from evil. 
Eve turned and looked at the tree, really looked at it. The fruit was beautiful, and what the serpent was saying to her made sense. What kind of wisdom was to be found in only doing what you were told forever? God had clearly told her and Adam that the tree gave the knowledge of good and evil. The only way to get that knowledge would be to disobey, to do what God considered evil. If she turned her back on that tree, she would never know. Eve decided she wanted to know. She took a fruit from the tree and ate it. Then she gave some fruit to Adam and explained what she had done and why. He agreed and he ate it too. When God found out what had happened, he was very angry. He put a curse on Adam. He put a curse on Eve and on Lucifer the serpent too. He kicked the angels out of the Garden of Eden and he set angels at the entrance with a flaming sword to keep them from ever coming back. And Lucifer was glad. The garden had been alive from the beginning. It was only a starting point. Only by leaving it could Adam and Eve ever go anywhere or learn anything. God had told them the garden held the tree of life, but that tree wasn't for them and it never had been. Only by leaving the garden, by going out into the world with all its dangers and hardships, could humans truly begin to live. As the years of human history unfolded, Lucifer became known as Satan, the adversary, the enemy. But he wasn't the enemy of humankind. He fought against the forces of the Most High, with questions as his weapons and knowledge as his strength, and his spirit remains with us today inspiring us to move past the old answers and find better ones, to take power from the powerful ones and give it to all, to shine the light of knowledge into the world. Thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I hope you enjoyed this. I thought my spouse Luke did a really good job on it. I'll be back in two weeks with a special episode for the one-year anniversary of the podcast. It's a a Dungeons & Dragons campaign-themed radio play about David and Goliath that my kid Kieran wrote with some help from me and my other kid Aiden. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, uh, We actually already put it on the podcast as a bonus episode for the $5 patrons on Patreon, but I'm excited to share it with everybody else. Anyway, so come back in two weeks. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.